Welcome to Season 5, Episode 6 of Fire Away, Revenue Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Just a reminder that Fire Away streams live online every month. And if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and our website. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Jennifer Block to discuss mastering difficult conversations and becoming conflict confident. Jennifer is the principal and founder of Touchpoint Leadership Coaching. She has spent over 20 years coaching leaders across multiple sectors from consumer packaged goods to palliative care. Her perspective is broad and unique to both corporate and healthcare industries. She's a graduate of McGill University, as am I, and Royal Rhodes University. And her professional journey is an interesting one. Uh, as a human resource manager, a health practitioner, and a certified executive coach, she brings a unique perspective to organizations about interpersonal relationships. I am very excited about this. Hopefully, Jennifer will do most of the talking because as you can tell, I'm losing my voice somewhat, um, but I'll manage to get through this episode. Let's get to it. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Stuart. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Hopefully, I'll be able to keep up my end of it. Um, but I'm very excited both personally and professionally because I know that I often struggle with the difficult conversations or, or the ones we convince ourselves are going to be difficult. And then you get through them and you realize they actually weren't nearly as bad as you expected them to be. And I I asked you when we were doing our prep for this show about self-talk because I know it's something I do. And I'm very intrigued to hear your comments on that. Um, so one Quick comment about why, on a, from an employment law perspective, this to me is really important, and then I'll let you do more of the talking. But um, I've said this before, undoubtedly on Fire Away, as well as in other contexts, it, it happens often where we have clients contact us and basically say they're done. There's an employee; they've got to be fired. They're not working out. They're never going to get better. And when I tell them to send me the file, there's nothing in the file. And what becomes very, very clear is that there may have been issues with performance, with conduct, whatever it was, but nobody ever sat down and talked to the employee, explained what the concerns were, explained what, what the consequences might be if it didn't get better. No one had those difficult conversations, and now they're just ready to give up. And, of course, it can cost them significant amounts of severance because they're not going to be able to fire them for cause. And, of course, there's costs of recruiting and training and everything else. Whereas if they had had the conversations, they may have actually been able to help the employee improve and not have to, had to get rid of them at all. So the reality is that most managers have never been trained or coached on how to have these conversations. Most of them are capable of doing them, but they need to be told how, and that's where someone like, like you can come in. So, and we can talk about this throughout the show. There's so many different types of conversations that would fall into this, this category of difficult conversations, termination meetings, disciplinary meetings, performance improvement. From the employee perspective, asking for a raise, asking for vacation time, uh, dealing with conflict with, with colleagues, with clients, um, and there's so many more. Um, so I'll turn it over to you because I think you've got some great insights, but you know, to start with, how, how do people prepare for any of these conversations that in their mind are going to be difficult ones. So it's interesting because I believe that like how people typically prepare for these conversations, they wing it. <laughs> they wing it, they script it, they delegate it, they avoid it. And um, 
you know, that's a recipe for disaster because, you know, it'll create more lawsuits. It'll, it'll make people uncomfortable. People won't be prepared. They'll say the wrong thing. Um, so what's really important is that you want to assess it. You want to weigh the risks versus the benefits before going in to the difficult conversations. So it's okay to avoid a conversation, but why are you avoiding the conversation? Right? Um, I'm sorry, I was yeah. going to say, it's interesting what you said about scripting, because I know I, I often do that. Um, and I think, you know, there's different levels of scripting, but I will try to think out how it might play out and what if they say this and what if they say that. But what uh, I don't think that's the best way to go about these things. So what do you think people should be doing? Yeah, I mean, it's okay to strategize and it's okay to imagine a scenario, like all the different possible scenarios. I wouldn't necessarily script it to the point of, if they say this, I'll say this. And I've actually seen managers do that. Um, well, if they say this, then I'll be prepared with this. So you're not scripting the dialogue, but you're, you're preparing ahead of time and planning for the inevitable. You want to be very prepared for the unexpected. And I have, I think I've come up with like three strategies, three principles for preparing for unexpected conversations, like um, difficult conversations and uh, preparing for the unexpected. Because right. at first you have to have very, very clear goals. And by clear goals, I mean, um, they're not just clear, but they're indisputable. So you wanna be able to really get to the heart of what is it that I need to accomplish here? Why is it important that I'm having this conversation? What would success look like, right? Um, what can both parties agree on? And what business objectives here are we focusing on? And also you wanna consider the mutually beneficial outcomes, right? It's not just about what you're gonna get out of it. And it depends on the context. So like a termination conversation that's already said and done Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know that you really want to look for a mutually beneficial solution. Right. So, and sorry to cut you off. I know you've got three principles and I only let you get through one, but I don't know if you have a good example. You know, let's say, let's yeah. go back to my example of the employee who is having issues. And, and my favorite example, because it's based upon a real life situation I had, I had to deal with, was the employee who just consistently comes in late. You know, they're supposed to start at nine, but they come in and I know, one, 903, 907, and then it becomes 909-915. So take that scenario and you're the manager, you're gonna have a conversation. What would be, or what would an example of a, of a goal be that you can identify? Yeah, so I mean, how is it affecting the business? Right, like how is their absenteeism affecting the business? You always wanna go back to um, what is clear to them also, so they can clearly see how, you know, regardless of what's going on in their personal life that's causing the absenteeism, how is it affecting the business? Um, what is possible? Like, what is possible here? So, you know, sometimes people's lives get in the way and they have to be absent or, you know, we've all experienced that. And if it's a chronic absenteeism, maybe try to understand exactly what's going on and what solutions or possibilities are there 
that can be worked through in a way that can help the business. Um, you know, without having that conversation, you're not going to be able to understand exactly what's going on in their lives. And it is important. I think people underestimate that a lot. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one more twist and then I will get back to your, let you get back to your three principles. Um, so the scenario I gave you, the person coming in late, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for them to argue. You know, there's going to be objective evidence to come in late. So they might argue about the frequency, but you know, that's pretty clear cut. But what about a more ambiguous or subjective issue? You know, if you say that they are not doing their reports properly or not doing the work as expected and, and they won't agree and they just say, no, I think I'm doing everything you've asked of me and I don't, I can't agree that there's an issue. So how do you deal with that type of situation? Yeah, so I think going back to um, the observable pieces of how it's affecting the business is really key because um, at the end of the day, you might not be able to link it back to their absenteeism or you may not be able to link it back to their performance directly. But what you can do is ask them what they can do or what they can contribute to solving the problem. So if the end result I guess you have to kind of define what is the problem here? Is the problem their performance? Is the problem their absenteeism? Or is the problem the result of what's happening at the end of the day for the business? So if you stay focused on the end result, then you have the ability to get the employee to be accountable for helping you. I like that. And, and it also makes it a bit less personal when you're talking about the impact on, on the exactly. organization. Uh, that makes sense. Okay, so what? Uh, so first principle is, is having indisputable goals. And what are the, the next two? Yeah, so the next one is my favorite, personal favorite, is self-regulation. Um, we all have our beliefs and our values and our biases and our judgments and our assumptions about people. And... Um, it's really important to be mindful of that going into a conversation, like preparing for your conversation. What am I assuming here and how can I suspend that? Um, and then it's also important to think about that during the conversation. So for example, if you're in a difficult conversation, you have what's out of your control is none of your business. So you have no control over how they act. You only can control how you act. So if they start raising their voice and making angry faces, you can assume that they're angry. We all would. But this can sound really crazy. Maybe they have guessed. You can acknowledge that their shoulders are raised, that their brow is furrowed. You can acknowledge that they're raising their voice. And you can just relax and sit back and say, I noticed that you're raising your voice here. What's going on? and give them the opportunity to tell you what they're feeling. And it also allows a pause in the conversation. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. And, and it comes back a lot to listening and observing, which is, you know, I, I think on Far Away, I probably mentioned this book before, but one of my favorite books on negotiating is called Never Split the Difference. And without... Uh, digressing too far, you know, one of the one of the key points they make in terms of how to negotiate effective, effectively is to listen and to make sure to listen to what your counterpart is saying and then, and then acknowledge 
um, what you're observing. And so exactly what you just said, you know, I noticed you raised your voice, I noticed that you seem to be upset. Uh, and it's, you know, that can be really effective in many different contexts. Yeah. And how are you going into this meeting in the first place? Are you going in for a fight or are you going in for a way out? Like a path forward. You want to be able to really think in that whole self-regulation aspect. You want to think about, oh, you were asking me before, how do I prepare for an ambiguous situation, right? Here's right. a perfect example of how you can do that. Identify your triggers. What are your triggers? What are they? Are they when somebody interrupts me, when somebody lies to me, when I think that they're lying, when somebody raises their voice? What are the triggers? And once you identify what those are, you know your triggers. Everybody does. <clears throat> when you know your triggers, you, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what do I do when I'm triggered? What do I think? What do I feel? And what do I do? And then be mindful of those things because when they happen, now you have an opportunity to say, okay, when I behave this way or when I think this thought, I will do this instead. Right. So it almost doesn't matter what happens in the conversation that's not in your control. You can always control your reaction to it. Right. Which, and it gets back to your first point about not assuming, um, because if you assume what the conversation or how the conversation is going to go, you'll already have your backup in many cases, or I know many people will. Yeah. So that makes makes good sense. And I know we've, we've talked about this a bit, but as far as rehearsing, you know, how, how much, you know, I, I know a lot of people do this, and I think I'm, I'm one in some contexts, um, but how much rehearsing should there be as opposed to not winging it, but just going in and listening and then reacting? I think, I mean, I'm very comfortable talking in front of people, so I'm not... I'm not sure I'm the best one to ask about that. Like I can just go in and, and wing it. Um, but I think the key is to be prepared with what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Understanding why you're doing what you're doing and what your end result, your desired end result is, is crucial to the success of any, you know, especially a difficult conversation. If you can get very, very clear on that, the way that I prepare is not by rehearsing, it's mindfulness. So I took, even before here, like I'm talking live for the first time. So, you know, I wanna be able to really stop for maybe 30 minutes before and just feel my body, feel, you know, breathe and notice where my breath is going. And that actually has been proven to increase focus, decision-making, clarity, um, it actually reduces your fight or flight response. So that's what you mm -hmm. would do in an, any difficult conversation. Got it. And that's part of the challenges for a lot of people, especially in, in the COVID world is we're bouncing from one meeting to another meeting to another meeting, and we don't have the time to do that. That's right. What's, um, what's the third principle? Um, so I like to call that compassionate boundaries. Now, I didn't coin that term. I've, I've read it um, somewhere. But um, compassionate boundaries. So it's like, how many times have you said yes when you really meant no? <laughs> right? I'm sure everybody can relate to that. And it's okay to say no. You know, they say no is a complete sentence. 
but it is one of the hardest things for people to do. So how do you say no with compassion? And automatically when I say that, I'll ask people, what, is, what do you think I mean by compassion? And their response is, well, you have to be compassionate to people when you're talking. And my answer to that is, yeah, but what about yourself? Where's the compassion for yourself? And we often forget that. It's okay to set a boundary. And more often than not, people will respect that. And, you know, we have to think about what can we say, especially from a legal standpoint in employment situations. What can we say? What can't we say? But also think about what am I willing to say? And what right. am I not willing to say here? And be prepared going and knowing that. I love the comment you made about no being a complete sentence because we all, or at least most of us, feel that need to justify when we say no. Um, but that's a really good point to take out of this. Um, and the other point I wanted to pick up on, because I know we've talked about this before, is silence. And I mean, I, I'll say, you know, I started practicing law and I was doing a lot of litigation, especially early in my career. One of the things I learned early on is silence can be the most effective weapon if you are examining someone at discoveries or depositions, as they say in the States, or in a trial, if you just let that silence linger, people will often feel the need to, to fill that gap and they will just keep talking. Um, but it also gives you time to, to think and actually process what you've heard and what you where you go from here. So I know you want to talk about how, how you can use silence effectively. Yeah, and, and also it helps you observe. It helps you take a moment to observe the person's body language. How are they reacting to what you're saying? You know, where is that opportunity for you to be curious and ask them questions about that and make it a real conversation, not just one-sided? Silence is funny because it's so uncomfortable. And even for me, like, I, I'm in a conversation and I just, you know, in the coaching call, and I, I see that moment where the client is starting to get it and they're starting to reflect and I'll just stay silent because mm. it empowers them. You know, it holds them capable to come up with the answer on their own. And it feels like 10 minutes, <laughs> but it's like 30 seconds, you know? So yeah. going back to the, the three principles of like, you know, being clear on the goals and self-regulating, managing your assumptions and compassionate boundaries, including compassion for yourself, is a good thing to reflect on during that period of silence. And it also, I think, you know, one of the things I think a lot of us do, and again, I'll put myself in this group, is we don't fully listen to the other person because we're busy <laughs> preparing our next comment or response. Um, and so one of the comments that someone made to me years ago was that you can use that silence, whether it's 10 seconds or, or three or four minutes, to process what the other person said and then decide how you're going to respond to it. So I mean, silence has a lot of great, um, great redeeming qualities that you can use to your advantage in these conversations. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, on top of promoting the accountability, it gives you that opportunity to really, really pay attention and be curious in the conversation, which has mm. such tremendous value. It's not just showing that you're listening, but it's giving you tons of information that will help you negotiate in this conversation if you need to. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool for, for so many different reasons. 
Um, so shifting gears, I wanted to pick up on what kind of relates to your comments about boundaries and respecting your own boundaries. But one of the things I was going to ask you about is methods of, of communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll give an example. You know, we often work with individuals who have lost their jobs and we've reviewed the severance package and, you know, I'll say nine times out of 10, it's deficient in, in one way or another. Sometimes it's somewhat deficient. Sometimes it's, you know, incredibly deficient. Um, but usually one of the discussions we have is, okay, we've identified where the deficiencies are. We've identified the goals we want to achieve. How are we going to do that? And sometimes the individual wants to speak with someone in the company. Sometimes they want us to do it. But if they're going to do it, the next question I ask is, okay, how? Is it going to be a face-to-face meeting? Is it going to be a phone call, a Zoom call, or email? And it's always fascinating to see who chooses what. I mean, almost inevitably, people who are in sales want to do it face-to-face. But most other people want to do it by email. Um, But I wanted to get your comments on, you know, which which methods of communication are best for these difficult conversations. I would ask a question first. Why are you asking the question? So if they're asking... I have to say you sound like a lawyer by answering a question with a question, but go, go ahead. I'm a coach. <laughs> we do that too. Um, but so, yeah, it's, I, would, I would literally ask them, why are you asking? Like, what's important to you about doing it by phone? Or what's important to you about doing it? And if the answer is, I don't want to face it, then I would say, do it by face. And if the answer is, well, because, um, you know, we have a lot going on in the company right now, we've, you know, there's time management issues, we've really got to focus on, you know, not taking the time to travel to do this conversation or whatever the case may be, that's a different story. But what is the purpose, like, what is the reason why you're avoiding a face-to-face conversation? Mm -hmm. I personally think face-to-face is always best except for if there is an emotionally charged person that potentially has violent tendencies, then we can rethink that. What about, I mean, sometimes one of the comments I get, if someone says I want to do it by email, because I often will ask them why, uh, sometimes it's that power imbalance. Like they're just, they're intimidated. But who's in the, the person? So you know, I'm, I'm often thinking about the, you know, if, if I'm advising the employee, um, and maybe they're a current employee, maybe they've been let go, but either way, they need to go talk to a manager or supervisor or someone in the company. Yeah. So if you're, if you're speaking about the employee addressing it, um, sometimes they need to collect their thoughts. And sometimes when they're in face-to-face, it's difficult for them to actually just come out with what they want to say because they're their boss may have a much better communication style and may be able to fire back questions that they just can't answer. Mm -hmm. So I can understand the hesitation to do things face-to-face, but then I would recommend do it by phone. Right. Because then you have your note paper in front of you. They don't see that you have your notes, but you have the tone and the volume of your voice that communicates email. I don't know what, what you think about this, but it's a last resort because when, unless you're confirming something you've already discussed, but as a means to have a conversation, it is one of the worst things because you are communicating something with your values and assumptions and beliefs. And you may have the best intentions in that email, 
But without that voice and tone, the receiver of the email is putting their own experiences, their own values, their own beliefs, and they don't have that opportunity to hear the intention behind what you're saying. And that is risky. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I'll, I, I had this experience, I mean, we're going back 15 years ago now, back when I was at a large firm, uh, and an issue came up and I was emailing with managing partner. This is back when I was a, a, an associate, not even a partner at the point. And I could see the, the, the conversation was becoming more tense. So I tried to diffuse the situation by using an exclamation point, which I meant to explain. I meant it to mean humor. I was joking. Uh, he clearly interpreted my exclamation point as me yelling. Um, and it just went so quickly off the rails. Um, so, of course, what I did at that point, I mean, it took a whole lot of courage, but I picked up the phone and I called him. Um, and I was terrified, but I knew that it was only going to get worse if I kept emailing him. Um, so that was an example of, as you said, you can't pick up tone. Yeah. That being said, I, I will say this. A lot of our clients who are in this situation who need to reach out to a former employer to discuss their severance package. A lot of them do it by email. And I'll say in most cases, it works out well. Um, but there is that risk. And I do agree with you. Like face-to-face is better. Phone is better. But, you know, many cases it can work out well. Um, but you got to be prepared for that potential. And it depends that. on the context too, right? Like if you're yeah. never, if you're, if your relationship with this individual is coming to an end, then there's no stake in it as much to continue on a relationship. So then if you send it by email, well, you're, you're covering, you're covering yourself. Right. And it's important to have things documented. So it's okay. But if you're going to continue a relationship with the person, it's going to be, I don't know. I, I personally am, I'm all about connectedness. I, I'm all about connecting with people. No, but I think you made a great point there because the, the, the context I was discussing, the relationship's over, right? The only issue now is let's wrap up all the details of the severance package so that we can part ways. Right. So that's a very different context than either starting a relationship or being in an ongoing relationship. So I, I agree with you completely on that. So as, uh, as we promised, the time has flown by. It's actually 12.57 already. So oh, wow. Before I get my uh, my chance to uh, to fire away, any last comments or, or thoughts? No, this was super fun. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. I hope it was fun. I certainly enjoyed it. And, and yeah, your comments were great. So I really, really appreciate you doing this. And uh, now I'll, I'll take my turn to fire away. I would really, um, just one more thing is, um, I would really, really encourage people to be more proactive. I think you mentioned that before, but the cost of hiring, you know, training or a coach to support you um, far is far less than the cost of the severance and the cost of hiring somebody new. So really, really consider it. You sound like you've been listening to our, uh, our, our marketing materials because we always <laughs> say it costs you a whole lot less to avoid the problem than it does to fix it. So yeah, that's what I'm there for. <laughs> no, absolutely. And obviously I'm not surprised that we're on the same page. So again, th- thank you for doing this. That was a great discussion. And um, now I get to, uh, to do my rant and, and fire away. All right. Thank you.
So one of the most frustrating situations that we deal with at Rudner Law is where we're contacted by an employer client and we're told that they are just done with an employee. They've been consistently engaged in misconduct or their performance has never been what it should be. Clearly, it's never going to get better. It's time to move on and terminate their employment. And so the next thing we do as lawyers are want to do is we ask to see the file. And we look at the file and there is absolutely nothing in there about any concerns whatsoever. I, odds are what we'll see is the annual employment review, which says that they, they met expectations or whatever the equivalent is. And if the employee is ever asked about any concerns, which sometimes arises in the context of litigation, they'll say they had no idea that there was an issue. And, and if they knew there was an issue, they would have addressed it and fixed it. Um, but what, what becomes clear to us is that the manager or the supervisor or whoever was dealing with this employee never took the time to engage in those difficult conversations to raise the concerns with the employee, or if they did, they never documented them um, because they felt it was too awkward to put it in writing or too threatening to put it in writing. And even if they did that, they didn't clearly indicate what the consequences of, of not improving would be. And it's understandable. And as we talked about in, in uh, season five, episode six of Fire Away with Jennifer Block, it's very difficult to have these difficult conversations and people avoid them and managers and supervisors avoid them. It's understandable. The problem is it costs the company money. Either it costs the money because now, instead of potentially having just cause to fire somebody, there's no evidence to support that. So you can let somebody go, but you're going to pay severance. And then you're going to pay the cost of recruiting them and of training their replacement. So that's a whole lot of costs. Um, whereas you could have avoided the severance costs, the recruiting costs, the training costs, or in the ideal world, if you sat down with that employee and explained the concerns, explained the potential consequences, they would have understood that they need to improve and they would have. And in that case, you've managed to maintain the employment relationship. And I think it's important to understand that when we talk about severance and dismissals, and we're talking about just cause for dismissal, just cause for dismissal is often referred to as the capital punishment of employment law. Judges take it very seriously. And one of the things that a judge will want to see is that the employee was given a fair shake, that they were clearly told what the expectations were, how they're failing to meet them, and what the consequences will be of continued failure. And if they don't see that, then a court's going to say that there was no just cause, in which case severance has to be paid. So what all this means is that you've got managers and supervisors who avoid difficult conversations and it ends up hurting the company. So critically, I mean, managers need to be coached on how to engage in these conversations and trained on why it's important. And as I mentioned in season five, uh, episode six of Fire Away, Jennifer Block had some tremendous advice on how to engage in these conversations and really you know, turn them to your advantage. So I encourage everyone to watch that episode uh, it'll help you with both your personal and your professional conversations and relationships. And ideally, we're going to see companies who are being proactive and coaching their managers and having these conversations rather than waiting until they get burned. And then they've got to pay the costs, pick up the pieces and move forward. So that's really all I wanted to say on, on that subject. That's all the time we have for season five, episode six of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank Jennifer Block again for joining me for a great conversation. I want to remind everybody that at Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships 
and make informed decisions rather than making assumptions. I invite everyone to keep up to date on employment law issues by following us on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, liking our Facebook page, subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, as well as subscribing to our newsletter. And we're still saying this, although we're making progress on the COVID front, you still need to keep up to date on workplace issues uh, that relate to COVID and, and to the pandemic more generally. And lastly, as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. So if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. Feel free, feel free to reach out to us. Past episodes can be found on YouTube and on our website. Uh, and if you like our page or subscribe to our, our channel, you'll receive notifications of when the episodes are live. Our next episode will be on August 16th. And Brittany Taylor, partner in Runner Law, will be back in the host seat. Lastly, as always, I want to thank Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. Thank you all for tuning in. See you next time.